Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another episode of the Ducks Unlimited podcast. We are excited today to bring you an update from the prairies. Uh, We, as most folks will know by now, we do not have the May breeding population and habitat survey from which to get periodic updates from people actually out in the field that are doing that survey on, on kind of what we're seeing with respect to habitat conditions and bird numbers. So lacking that information, We're going to make a commitment to trying to reach out to our field staff, both within the states and in Canada, to give us some on-the-ground updates of of what they're seeing. Not going to be quite the same as what we we could have gotten from the survey, but uh, we're going to we're going to fill the gap, nevertheless, with some good reports from our from our field folks. So, first up today on this episode, we have joining us uh, a friend of the show, someone who joined us last year for a similar type report, Dr. Scott Stevens, the Ducks Unlimited Canada's Director of Regional Operations for the Prairie and Boreal. Scott, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here and visit with you. Uh, I think last year we made the comment that your episode, your habitat report from 2019 was the most downloaded episode that we had had. So again, we're going to kind of hold you to that that standard and I, I think the last time you, you said that your mom was largely responsible for all those downloads so you might need to reach out to her again and put her on notice let her let her know we're going to be serving this up to the masses here pretty soon right okay I will do that Scott just to kind of get started I wanted to check in with you on a Ducks Unlimited Canada kind of uh, report I know with the COVID-19 situation we're all doing things differently we've had survey cancellations all sorts of other field work has been hindered but uh, just wanted to get an update from DU Canada there are y'all back in the office yet or are y'all still working largely out of your homes yeah, almost all of our staff are working out of their homes now. I don't I don't think we have anybody left in offices. And that's really been the case for us um, since about the middle of March. Um, so the good news is um, we were, I'll, I'll give credit to our IT department. They had us set up on Microsoft Teams and we were, we were really locked and loaded to work remotely before we needed to. And that was a good thing in this case. Uh, I don't think they saw a pandemic coming, but uh, they were moving us to to that platform anyway. So everybody's been able to to be pretty productive and uh, you know keep things rolling. Our folks who do work in the field, they've managed to keep all that rolling, which is really important. Um, you know, if if we we'd be in much bigger have much bigger challenges to deal with if we weren't able to do the stuff in the field. But, uh, you know, our staff are out there surveying and doing wetland restoration and uh, grassland restoration right now. They're able to do that um, by, you know, maintaining social distancing and, you know, out in the fresh air. Um, I, I think they're probably safer doing that than they than they would be sitting in an office. So, all good on that front. Well, that's good to hear. I know it's largely the same here in the States. A lot of our offices are still closed. Some are starting to reopen uh, consistent with whatever the, the state or region specific uh, kind of guidelines are, are permitting. But yeah, most I think most everyone in the States is still working out of their homes. Uh, we do have a lot of field staff that are continuing to deliver conservation 
projects that are continuing to design and seek funding for conservation projects. So there are big portions of the of the organization that are rocking and rolling, and uh, but all while. Uh, following the guidelines as appropriate. So just wanted to get a quick update on that. Thank you for sharing. And yeah, like everyone, we hope things get back to normal uh, sooner rather than later. And I think we're trending in the right direction. But for now, for the sake of this conversation, I wanted to shift a bit to talk about uh, waterfowl habitat conditions and maybe a bit about what you're seeing in terms of bird numbers. I, uh, I do know that you've been able to get out in the field a time or two I think some of it was just for your own personal recreation, but you also have, a, uh, I think, a decent handle, have some contacts throughout the province of Manitoba uh, that you might might have been able to uh, uh, to, to check, check in with. And, and so we just wanted to get your report on, as you see it, and realizing this is just one person's characterization of what you're seeing, maybe what you're hearing. It's not as comprehensive as a survey, um, but uh, nevertheless, kind of what are you seeing? What can you tell hunters uh, across the across North America with respect to Manitoba? Yeah, well, well, maybe I'll back up and and say, um, you know, really the the kind of snowpack conditions that we have coming into early March dictates at least to start with what conditions are going to be like across the prairies. And um, fortunately, that's a data source that we still had available to us this year, despite. Um, you know, surveys not happening um, weekly. Uh, Environment and Climate Change Canada they produce a snowpack map for for the Prairie provinces, and so I get that update weekly. And um, I, I have the map from like the the end of the first week of March up in front of me, and and I think that is probably one of the best sources we have. Of you know, here's here's sort of a good index to what runoff was going to be from snowpack. And, you know, that's usually the most important thing that fills wetland basins and, and that kind of thing. So as I look at that map, um, really the way I'd simplify it is the parkland areas kind of in the Northern fringe of the Prairie Pottle region. Um, there's pretty good, there was pretty good snowpack in March there and there was runoff. And so we will have water there as you move into sort of the prairie areas, as we, as we get out of those Aspen parklands and you move South, it was pretty dry. Um, like the, uh, the, the snowpack equivalent in this map is in millimeters. And, uh, basically they had 10 millimeters or a centimeter of snowpack across the southern prairies for the most part. A little a little bit more in Manitoba than in Alberta and Saskatchewan, um, but but not much. Uh, so, you know, the, the prairies, the true prairies are, are fairly dry. And I would say, you know, we have not had any significant precipitation events since then to really change that. You know, I know here we've had you know, some light rain that turned the grass green, but nothing that was going to run off into the wetland basin. So, you know, I would say really those southern areas and the prairies are going to be pretty dry and there there isn't going to be, you know, a lot of activity there. The parklands are going to be okay. So, you know, that's, that's not an uncommon trend. Um, you know, those parkland areas have trees because they typically get more precipitation on an annual basis than than do those prairie areas. So that's kind of where things stand right now. Um, you know, now if we can get big rains and that can change things and add water, but 
you know, at, in the middle of May, where we are now, um, you know, at least for early nesting species, things aren't going to change much. Um, you know, species that are a little later to nest, like gadwall and scop and some of those things, um, you know, the clouds could burst tomorrow and we could fill up a bunch of wetland basins. But, uh, you know, the reality is those species are not really keen into shallow water anyway. Um, you know, they're using more more permanent water or, or deeper ponds. And so, you know, the parkland is going to be pretty good. The prairie's um, pretty dry. And so, you know, that, that I would say sets us up to have kind of, you know, a, a rather mediocre potential for production. It, it sounds a fair bit the way we might have described it last year. Is that, uh, am I hearing things correctly? Yeah, I think that is true. And in, in fact, Mike, um, as I was pulling up, as I was pulling up that map, um, I, uh, I had the same kind of map from last year and it does look very similar. So, you know, similar to conditions to what we had last year coming out in the, in the early spring. Yeah. And and I think those similarities are probably going to bear out across the border as well. I know we're going to try to line up some folks from North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana here over the coming weeks. But I think the general consensus, everything I'm hearing and uh, hearing it pretty loudly in some cases is that North and South Dakota are pretty doggone wet. I'm not sure about Montana, but uh, do I do I remember correctly, Scott? And I think you'd have a handle on this. There was flooding in the in the Red River in North Dakota again this year, wasn't that? Uh, do I have that right? Yeah, there was there was definitely a little bit. I I definitely saw some pictures on Facebook of I-29 that runs through that Red River Valley corridor, having water over the top of it. It didn't last for long, so. Um, but yeah, that's consistent with the reports that I've heard is especially South Dakota was, was really wet last year and, you know, that's carried over and continued. Um, and I think North Dakota is in, is in at least okay shape. You know, you'll get better intel from some of those folks down there. Um, but once you get across the border here, it's, it's pretty dry in the prairies, um, you know, the parklands have some water, but yeah, that's, like I said, that's not an uncommon situation. And, um, you know, usually when we have that kind of situation, it'll, it'll not be great production on our side of the border. And, and I think, you know, that, that sort of cascades into, into other impacts that, that people see in your part of the world in the fall, you know, it's like, well, you know, if we get winter and we have ducks, there are ducks here, but man, they're hard to work. And it's like, yep, lots of adult birds in the population, <laughs> not many juveniles. That's that's the recipe. That's right. That's right. And and I would imagine in just about every year that we do this kind of a um, a, a survey or a, have a conversation about habitat conditions on the prairies. We're gonna we're gonna talk about some level of regional variation. How it's super wet here and it's really dry here, and it's eh, you know it's kind of okay here. And that just it 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 goes to reinforce the importance of working across the entire landscape. You can even think about it as a, uh, a as a portfolio, and you're investing in this portfolio to generate ducks. It would be the currency that we're trying to produce here, and all the other benefits that come from it. But the fact that conditions are rarely good across an entire landscape um, and that 
most of the times you're going to have one area that's good and one area that's bad. Just emphasizes the importance of working in all of those areas so that you have a diversified approach and that you can take advantage of those favorable environmental conditions uh, wherever they may occur across this broader landscape during any given year. And that's, again, what we're seeing now, dry in the, generally dry in the, in the prairies, very wet in the Dakotas, uh, and, and kind of kind of mediocre to good, maybe up in the parklands. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And I know, Mike, you've seen some of those graphics that we have showing how water moves around that whole, you know, the whole prairie pothole region through time. And yeah, you can definitely find years where it's sopping wet in Canada and, and fairly dry in the Dakotas and vice versa. And, you know, that that's exactly the philosophy that we have is we have to have all of those areas intact and functioning when the right environmental conditions exist or you know it's just like having you know part of your factory out of production if you lose the capacity for those areas to turn on when they have the right environmental conditions so you know that's something that for from a habitat standpoint we're we're really focused on you know making sure that when we get the right snowfall or rain the basins are there the grassland habitats there to sort of, you know, set the stage for birds to take advantage. Um, you know, unfortunately, we, we don't control the weather. Um, you know, if I did, I, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> just being honest, I appreciate it. Um, but Scott, I also find it interesting, uh, whatever you were talking about, you know, the map that you go to, your go-to map for trying to anticipate spring wetland conditions is snowpack kind of leading uh, coming into the spring and you know there are there's no shortage of meteorological maps that you can get from from various web services both in Canada and the US and one of those of course relates to drought conditions and if you look at the drought conditions in the prairies there's not much indication of a drought and so we actually had an exchange on on Facebook maybe it was uh, a couple of weeks ago where someone had posted a, a, a map about uh, about doesn't look like there's any drought in the prairies maybe that's a good thing and you're like well I wouldn't get too carried away because it's some of these other more short term or some of these other ways of characterizing uh, meteorological conditions, moisture conditions that are going to have a stronger, uh, stronger bearing on what actually plays out in terms of those spring wetland conditions. And so I was, I was excited to hear you talk about that, the, the snowpack um, coming out of winter into spring as being a, a pretty key determinant of, of the way you would anticipate um, wetland conditions shaping up. So, so that, was in, that was helpful and informative for me. What are you seeing? I know you were out at Delta Marsh last week. Uh, birds are, are showing up rapidly left and right. I guess they've already been there for – some species have already been there for a month or so. Are you able to – I mean, is this – at, at the, the level that we're able to perceive just with our eyes, it's probably not easy, not very easy to – uh, to notice, you know, small changes, 10 or 20% change. Uh, it's only in these drastic changes in abundances of birds that we're able really to perceive it. But are you noticing anything with respect to the birds you're seeing this year? Just wanted to kind of make sure I asked that question. Yeah, well, well, I guess maybe the, the first thing that I noticed, um, and, and this is kind of a sign of the times, you know, I got out there and it's like, hey, look, the birds are still doing their thing. They seem to be <laughs> unaffected by, by all this craziness that the rest of us yeah. have going on in, in yeah. our lives. So that, that was a bit comforting, I'll admit. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I showed up and was walking around with the dog and, 
you know, flushed a lone drake mallard off a pond. And it's like, all right, well, that means there's a hen somewhere sitting on eggs doing her thing. Uh, and, uh, so he wasn't, that's, that's not an indication of that drake mallard social distancing then. Well, it's, it's interesting. You know, I did think about that, about that term. And it's like, you know, ducks have been doing social distancing in the springtime for forever because they're territorial. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they're like, Hey, this is my space staked out for my hen to get her, you know, invertebrate resources that she needs to lay eggs. You know, you other pairs of mallards stay the heck away. So, um, there is social distancing going on, but it's not related to COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but all the birds have uh, I think all the sp- all the species have gotten there. I think I saw a video of some blue wings that are on the prairies and they're they're actively in courtship mode. At least some of them are those that are they're still trying to find a mate. But um, any any stragglers, any anything still showing up in good numbers? Um, I would say I haven't seen ruddy ducks yet, um, but, you know, they're, they're a late nesting species, you know, they're forming pairs once they get here. Um, so I, I suspect that there are a few around. I just haven't encountered them yet. Um, so, you know, yeah, we, we should have the full complement here and, and I'll admit, you know, where I was at Delta Marsh is kind of outside of the true glaciated pothole country. You know, it's more permanent water and, in that marsh. So it's a little bit different, um, you know, conditions. It's, you know, it's a really important fall staging area, but, you know, birds breed there, but not a ton of birds breed there. So, you know, you, you see a few birds doing their thing, but, you know, I have, unfortunately, I have not been out to real pothole country to drive around and take a look at things. I, uh, I know that um, Dr. Mike Anderson, one of our retired emeritus scientists, was out there running some surveys, some some roadside surveys for canvasbacks that he's been working on for north of 40 years. And uh, he said in that Minnedosa area where where he had done that work on canvasbacks, thing, things looked um, pretty good for canvasbacks. Um, you know, so so I think that's one of the nuances that many times we miss when we're trying to communicate to people is, you know, what conditions are like, and you can look at drought maps, but it really depends on kind of the, the species that you're talking about. Um, you know, canvasbacks that use more semi-permanent wetlands, um, you know, they can withstand, withstand drought better than some of the dabbling ducks that are taking advantage of, you know, shallow water that's running off in the snowmelt. Um, you know, those semi-permanent wetlands can carry water over from the previous year and, and be fine. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's nuanced, like, like many of the things that we deal with, um, are, and, you know, I I guess the, the main reason I look at that snowpack map is that tells me mostly about dabbling ducks. So mallards, pintails, blue wings, Shovelers, gadwall, um, maybe a little bit less gadwall than, than the others that I mentioned there. But we know that they really do well when we have what I would call fresh water that's, that's run off from snow and filled up basins that were maybe dry the previous year. We know that, you know, those wetlands have to go through that, that dry period to really reset the stage and recycle nutrients. And then when they get wet again, man, there's this flush of productivity. So those are the kind of conditions that we know really, really cause booms in productivity of, 
you know, invertebrate resources and ducks take advantage. And, you know, usually when we're coming out of those dry periods, there's, there's sort of a, a bump in nesting success too. It, you know, we think what happens is that predator populations probably decline because things have been dry and food isn't super abundant um, for them either. And then the water comes back and man, the ducks, you know, show up on their, on their little wings and they're able to take advantage and it takes a little while for the predators to catch back up. So, you know, when I think of dabbling ducks, you know, that's why I'm looking at snowpack, but, but it definitely is, is sort of a nuanced story as you get deeper into the weeds on all of this stuff. I appreciate you mentioning uh, Dr. Mike Anderson continuing to do his survey work out there in Minnedosa. I I actually had seen a post or saw a comment of his that, that made me realize that he was actually out there this year doing those surveys and thought crossed my mind at that time that I need to get him on the podcast to to discuss what he's seeing. Uh, more to the point of what you're really talking about is it does depend on the species and there are there may be some even smaller scale um, patterns of habitat conditions that just at, certainly in these general conversations we can't pick up on. So we will try over the next few months to speak with different people from different locations. I'm trying to line something up with a DU Canada um, biologist or staffer in Saskatchewan. We'll probably connect with several different people across that province just to get different perspectives. Things can change through time. Things are certainly different across space in this vast, uh, vast landscape. So we'll try to keep in touch with various people in various locations throughout the throughout the summer, trying to fill some of that void that is going to be there because we're not going to have that broad-scale survey data on habitat conditions that we that we traditionally get. Um, now, we won't be able to answer a whole lot with respect to bird numbers from um, from auxiliary data sets that we that we can, you know, to some extent get with respect to habitat habitat conditions. Don't go into the snowpack data set that you're referencing. There's not really much alternative out there when it comes to bird numbers. I do think North Dakota was conducting their survey, and we'll try to get some of that information on and out to our to our listeners. But uh, yeah, it um, it's, it's, sounds like in the prairies of Canada and uh, the parklands, we are in a condition that's fairly similar to where we were this time last year. And so it certainly could be better, certainly could be worse. Um, so we'll just keep an eye on things. We'll hope for a little bit more precipitation and, and uh, yeah, uh, be pulling for the ducks throughout the summer. So, Scott, I do appreciate you joining, uh, joining us and spending some time with us. Any, any final words for the folks? Well, I, I would just say, Mike, that, um, you know, you talked about the fact that we don't have the survey this year. I, I guess the, the piece of advice that I'd offer to folks listening is, you know, I don't, I don't think we should panic about that. Um, you know, it, it had been a long-term survey that we'd been collecting, you know, every year for 60-some years. So it's too bad we have a little break in that. But, you know, it, it's not like ducks are going to drop off the edge of a cliff here because we don't have that data. And, you know, the, the changes year to year are usually not that great, um, you know, and, and we'd be aware based on the habitat conditions if we were going to see a big change. And, you know, like we talked about, not a lot different from last year. So probably not going to be big swings in the populations either. So, you know, we, we like to have that information, but I'd say, you know, there's, there's no three alarm fire that, that we're all freaked out because, you know, of the current situation where we won't have it this year. 
Yep, I totally agree. And thanks for sharing your perspective on that. We're actually trying to get Dr. Ken Richkus, the chief of the uh, Division of Migratory Bird Management, on on an episode so we can talk about that decision and uh, talk about some of the things that you just that you just mentioned there, the long term nature of the data that we do have and kind of what their decision was. And so we hope to be bringing that to our listeners as well. So we do have a lot of things that we're trying to line up. And uh, so we thank folks for, for tuning in. And Scott, we thank you for being an important part of that and hope to reconnect with you sometime later in the summer as we get uh, as we can get, get an update on, oh, late spring, early summer habitat conditions. Would you be up for that? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to join again and, and sort of give you the update. All right. Thanks, Scott. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Sounds good. A special thanks to our guest on today's show, Dr. Scott Stevens with Ducks Unlimited Canada. We appreciate his insights from the field, and we hope to be bringing more information from him and other folks uh, throughout the summer. As always, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, for the great job that he does editing these podcasts and serving them up to you, our listeners, and to you, our listeners. Of course, the most important part of this venture. We thank you for your time. We thank you for spending it with us, and we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment for wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks.